Welcome to the spirit world, answering your questions on angels, demons, and how the spiritual and physical worlds interact. And now your hosts, Debbie Giorgiani and Adam Bly. Well, hello there, and welcome to The Spirit World. I am Debbie Giorgiani with religious demonologist and co-host Adam Bly, and not you today. You got to sit back and listen because this is our monthly mailbag edition, but we're taking your comments, your questions, put them all into the virtual mailbag, Adam, and we are just going to pull one out one at a time as fast as we possibly can, answer everybody's questions so we can all get better uh, enlightened and educated on various topics. But Adam, we always begin with the St. Michael prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And we're on all the social media platforms. So Tim Mott, our producer, is doing a fine job making sure we're out there to everyone. So we're waving to you guys. Thank you so much for loving the spirit world. We had like a huge amount of views last week, and we are so grateful for that. And if you would like to add a question or comment for a future mailbag show in March, please do so um, right there on Facebook, YouTube, or you can email us tsw that stands for the spirit world at grnonline.com grn is guadalupe radio network that's how we're being produced and we're super excited about that so you can leave your question your comment for a future mailbag show but these particular uh emails that have come in they're they're all the way back from i believe november i think we've gotten caught up since november so we're we're, we're making progress adam but mm-hmm. if you're ready to go adam i'm going to jump right in read the uh questions now i may um slightly um paraphrase or do a little bit of condensing because there's a lot of detail but adam i'm sure you'll you will be able to give an an answer for our listeners um, that can help all of us ready to go ready okay first question this is from our virtual mailbag um, and this is our monthly edition no calls today you guys so i know you love calling so but that's for next week okay this week you're going to sit back and listen first question adam and debbie i have a question about being a father and a husband last summer i got married and in late december my wife and i were blessed with a beautiful girl we named sophia Incidentally, Sophia is still in the NICU. Now, I hope she's out of the NICU by now because we're in February. So we're praying that uh, we got this email and we started praying for little Sophia. So uh, at the time when when he wrote the letter, uh, the email, she was in the NICU. So we would appreciate any prayers you could send heavenward. If I understand correctly, the father is the head of the household and has a certain authority. What I am wondering is if it's okay to touch my wife or child when I bless them, such as laying hands on their heads, or is that only for clergy? Also, is it okay to say something along the lines of, I bless you in the name of Jesus? Or is it more proper to say, Jesus, please bless Sophia and leave the I out of it? 
I apologize if, if these, um, these comments sound a, a bit ridiculous. They don't at all. Actually, we've all thought the same thing. I just want to be the best husband and father I can be. Thank you for your ministries and know, know that you are inspiring and helping countless people. Brian, thank you so very much. And congratulations on little Sophia. So what do you, you know, Adam, we get that question all the time. Can I say, I bless you? Do, do I have to say Jesus blesses you? What, what is your response to that? Right. So it's basically about authority. So when we have proper authority from God over something, we are allowed to bless it and we could touch it while praying or blessing. So a father has authority over his child, at least until they're of the age of reason, which is usually seven. And he could, through his baptismal priesthood, lay hands on his child, say, I bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or in the name of Jesus, or um, kind of any aspect of the Trinity, that would be fine. The reason we're cautious about this as a background is the abuses that have happened in situations where lay people who don't have authority over, say, a stranger at a prayer group start laying hands on them and rebuking demons and trying to directly address demons that may or may not be in another person. And and that has led to some problems. And so we're, we've cautioned people about that. But, you know, if something attacks my body, I have full authority over my body. I'm allowed to say in the name of Jesus, get off me, leave me alone, because I have full authority over my body. He has full authority over his baby. He also has authority over his wife. So he can lay hands, say, I bless you. You can also say, Jesus, please bless them. Um, but basically, that's all fine. Mm-hmm. And he has the same uh, over his wife? Yes. Mm-hmm. Does she have that authority over him? Um, scripturally, he has authority over her. But I believe, and I'd have to do some scripture research on this, um, in practice, in experience, she does. She has a special ability to pray for her husband and bless him. Mm-hmm. Sacramentally, they've become one person, and mm-hmm. ministerially, their job is to get each other to heaven. So they both have an authority and a responsibility over each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I've heard other um, other uh, denominations, they, they'll say things like, well, no, he's the only one who's the head of the household, so she doesn't have that same type of authority. But then I've heard your explanation, so I wanted to see. But that, that would make sense because the two become one in the sacrament of marriage. So you mm-hmm. have this this sharing of, of, of gifts with one another to get each other to heaven. So, yeah. There's yeah. a definite um, cooperation there. Um, any other comments on um, being uh, like he's a new dad, and how wonderful is that? Do you have any um, wisdom you would you would impart to these new dads out there that are mm. having these children? Because you know you to spiritually protect their their families, to put that hedge of protection around their families. Yeah, well, certainly have the home blessed if you haven't already. So before you bring your baby home, not not to be paranoid if you don't don't be upset. Just it would be nice. Get the home thoroughly blessed uh, by your parish priest. Do the epiphany blessing of the threshold, which is that chalk writing over the door, the four crosses, the CMB, and the year, which is the initials of the three wise men that came to see Jesus at, at um, when, you know, the time we celebrate epiphany about that story. Um, so yeah, have the house thoroughly blessed and prepared. Um, have a blessed crucifix over the crib or over the child's bed. Um, have an image of their guardian angel. It can be really nice for a child to grow up 
um, having that image in their room and eventually right. they'll be asking their parents, well, what does that image mean? That's you know, true. and that's, it's an opportunity to teach them a guardian angel prayer and um, about mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was hoping you would say that guardian angel prayer in the bedroom. Absolutely. Um, and it go, you just uh, went right in beautiful uh, to the next, we had uh, three questions that have come in about the epiphany blessing. Now that they came in at the beginning of the year, obviously, but people are still, you know, getting their chalk blessed and, mm -hmm. and getting their houses marked. Now, a couple questions came in on specifics of that. Um, there are some of our spirit world listeners, Adam, that they would like to know, can they go to their parents' house and do the epiphany blessing? Or does it have to be the people that reside in the home? Does it have to be the people that own the home? So they want the details of that they don't want mm -hmm. to you know um go over there and do something that's improper uh, of a blessing yeah so again it's about authority so if the owner of the home asks you to do it they are then passing that authority to you and turning over in a sense spiritual authority over the home for that period of time while you're doing that blessing so if they don't give permission i wouldn't do it because you're kind of intruding on somebody else's property um so yeah, just basically ask them. And once they say, sure, that's great, then you're fine. Mm -hmm. um, the chalk does need to be blessed. And um, you Did know- Did you say doesn't need to be blessed? Does need to does, be blessed. Does need to be blessed. Okay. And, and I would get that from the parish if at all possible, because there is a specific blessing for the chalk that the priest would do. Oh, wow. There is a specific blessing. Wow. Well, I just went and brought my chalk to the priest and he blessed it. So would he, does he know to do that? Um, they are free to just do a general blessing for it. Yeah. Um, I would have to double check the new book of blessings. The old book of, book of blessings has a specific blessing for the chalk to prepare it to do the epiphany blessing of the threshold. But it's oh. up to your priest about which one they use, whether it's the new book of blessings or the old, or they could just do a a general blessing of the chalk mm. it's it's their prerogative to do any of those is one more effective the blessing that's a question you'd have to ask god you know you yeah yeah um i've never encountered a situation where it wasn't um the proper blessing for the chalk so i've mm -hmm. not had any experience where it wasn't properly blessed okay here's where i get into the minutiae of all this so can you just erase from last year's a little bit of the chalk and then just add to it or do you have to start all you have to erase the whole thing mm. clean it off and start over again you, it's probably best to erase the whole thing and here's why it has the year there the the um you know 2024 so mm -hmm. 20 on the left 24 on the right would be for this year right um and i would just redo the whole thing because whole thing. when you think of any other rites of the church you know they they have a beginning they go through the entire thing they don't say well you know, we did this in the earlier mass, so we're going to skip it in this mass. Gotcha. You know, because so that's left over from the other mass. Like you basically go from you know A to B, all the way through. Mm -hmm. um, would be my advice on that. And you do need to do it, by the way, once a year. So um, I've actually had an experience. Um, it was kind of a uh, uh, more of a government. It was an old fort, mm -hmm. and. Um, that was troubled. Uh, so it was 365 days. And then the next day, the complaints started coming back into the administration office about the manifestations. So wow. it seems to be exactly 365 days. 
Wow. So, so it does matter. I would, you know, not be lax about redoing it. Okay. Okay. All right. We're going to hit the pause button. You're going to hear the music there in just a moment. And we, I, Adam and I do feel, we really feel sad that we don't get to talk with the Spirit World listeners today. But we're waving to you guys. Thank you so much. And um, we'll, we'll be back um, live next week taking your calls. This is our monthly mailbag edition. And it's kind of fun because I get to ask all the little details that you're thinking of. You have that cartoon bubble over your head. So stay with us on the Spirit World or send us an email, tsw at grn online. But this is our monthly mailbag edition here on The Spirit World. And we hope you stay with us the entire show because maybe your question will be answered today. When you find yourself peering into life's rearview mirror, wondering if your past will forever define you, it doesn't have to. Go to StandTallToday.com and register for your absolutely free consultation with one of our world-class life coaches. They can help you get started on a plan forward to living your best life. There's nothing to lose and an entire future to gain. Log on to StandTallToday.com for complete details. That's StandTallToday.com. 1 John 2.27 reads, You have no need that anyone should teach you, as his anointing, the Holy Spirit that is, teaches you about everything. Sounds pretty Protestant, doesn't it? No living teaching authority and just me and the Holy Spirit? Was John Protestant? Absolutely not. And here are some reasons why. First, John can't be rejecting a living teaching authority because in 1 John 4, 6, he instructs his readers that the apostles' teaching is the criterion for discerning truth from error. So what does John mean? He's warning his readers against false teachers. In 1 John 2, 19, he writes, some went out from us, but they were not of us. If false teachers, well then there must be true teachers. Sure, the Spirit teaches Christians the truth, but he does so through the living teaching authority, not apart from it. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, catholic.com. Spirit World continues with Debbie Giorgiani and Adam Bly. We're not taking live phone calls today. Please email your questions to tsw at grnonline.com. Okay, we are back, and this is The Spirit World, and we're on all the social media platforms, YouTube, Facebook, and the other ones that you're, like, all interested in. Uh, we're doing that to make it very convenient for you to catch The Spirit World uh, each and every Saturday. Adam, I actually misspoke, and let me share with you, because I'm getting all, you know, I'm getting older by the second, I'm just telling you. And you know, Adam, that I have, like, this quirky sense of humor, so, like, just, you got to keep a sense of humor, Adam, through all this, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And actually, Adam, you have a very good sense of humor. You don't show it that often, but when you do, it's it's pretty funny. It's there. It's just, uh, it's so dry that you can miss it. It's, it's kind of <laughs> like a powder that's on things like dust that you don't necessarily see until right, you swipe right. your finger and say, oh, there is something there. 
That's so true. Okay, so I misspoke. I said that we're going to be back. We have all new content shows because our senior producer, he he demands it. He says, I want new content mm-hmm. shows for our listeners. And we said, okay, Tim. And so we have... Um, we have uh, this wonderful uh, mailbag show that's brand new. And then next week, I actually said we'll be back live taking calls, but I, I misspoke because actually we are going to be in Dubuque, Iowa. Iowa, mm-hmm. which is like- exciting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We're going to be with Aquinas Communications, um, which is a, a radio station and apostolate there, some wonderful people. And um, yeah, we're going to be giving some talks on Eucharistic miracles. Um, it's going to be and the angels it, mm-hmm. it's going to be hopefully really interesting i enjoy meeting people in person right. kind of getting a chance to to hear you know their thoughts and and sometimes people you know give feedback or something they heard that was maybe useful hopefully you know from the show um chance to sign books if people bring books that kind of thing so mm-hmm. it's these trips are really lovely and um yeah this is this is our first trip out together this year mm-hmm in uh, 2024 so you know i think we're both excited to go yeah um and hopefully we'll you know we'll uh see it see a lot of you there mm-hmm. march 2nd in dubuque iowa aquinas communications you can register i understand people are coming in from nebraska and illinois and wisconsin driving in and that is wonderful uh but mm-hmm. please uh secure your spot at kcrd-fm.org kcrd-fm.org and that's aquinas communications in dubuque iowa but then the following week we will be back um and uh, we'll be taking calls, and that is that's going to be wonderful because we'll be able to t- uh, share with all of our spirit world uh, listeners what we learned when we were on location and talking about and ha- doing a question and answer and everything. And then when we are in, um, when we are um, get, speaking in uh, Iowa, we have a new show prepared all about the movies going to the movies and how the big screen has had such an impact on our culture and the way we live our lives and how it kind of is, you know, leads the way with certain trends um, and how it has such an impact. And a lot of Christian production companies are going into that arena simply because of that, because they have seen it. It has made such a great spiritual impact. Do you want to make any uh, comments as a, as a promotion of the, of the show we have coming up? No, just that, um, I'm very excited about that one because I don't think we, we always realize how powerful films are in terms of uh, forming our culture and our assumptions about things. If it's on a big screen, we kind of automatically take it as true. And Hollywood does not provide good catechesis as a rule. They're, they're mm-hmm. there to provide entertainment and sell tickets, and but we mistake it for catechesis. So yeah, there's both good and bad with this story. There's a lot of bad information that people take to heart, but there's also now some really beautiful work going on, like The Chosen, um, which is an amazing production that's was a grassroots production that's getting worldwide attention, um, you know, and and evangelizing a lot of people. So it's like anything else with the media; it can be used for for good or for bad. But mm-hmm. it's good to learn some good discernment before we just swallow it whole. 
Right, right. Absolutely. Okay, ready for the next question? Sure thing. Okay. And you know, I do kind of joke around a little bit, and I got to just say this because our, our we, we're always thanking our producer and our show team, and they're wonderful. And Tim doesn't demand a lot of things. He's very great to work with. I'm just going to say that publicly and on air just so that there's no, you know, negative comments coming back to Tim or anything like that. So, Oh, no, no. I hope yeah. not. No, Tim is wonderful. He is. He is. That's great. Okay. Oh, was that like, that was a sound effect. Oh, that was from the producer uh, booth there. I think there. it was. Yeah. He's teasing us. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so next question. Ready, Adam? Dear Adam and Debbie, first, thanks for your show and willingness to help form your listeners to be spiritually aware of the invisible reality to which we attest to in the creed. Yes, I, I, I love the creed. In your experience or based on what you have learned about spiritual warfare, can you please address the level to which demonic activity may influence a parish, its pastors and parishioners? What guidelines can we apply to distinguish poor judgment from demonic activity that may require special prayers. This question can apply to behavior in general. I know we all can suffer from mental illness, immaturity, and bad manners. What indicators could suggest the demons are taking advantage of these traits? Through the intercession of the Blessed Mother, St. Joseph and St. Michael, may God continue to bless your program and listeners. His will be done from Henry in Union Grove, Texas. Thank you so much, Henry. That was a beautiful email. What do you say to that, Adam? That is interesting. So, so are they? You always talk about the demons leveraging bad behavior. Yeah, this is a big question and it's a big topic. So, but I'll try to be brief. So, yes, we deal with troubled parishes on multiple levels. Um, it it really kind of depends. So, there are places that have had either very serious sin or outright uh, witchcraft or Satanism attacks on the place in terms of bringing cursed objects in, hiding them in there, or even doing rituals in the place. When they haven't been basically repaired or addressed the spiritual damage over time, it can leave kind of a stronghold for the demonic because they had a victory there. And you will sometimes see this as, say, a, a, a few decades or a few generations of staff and, and priests in a, in a parish all experiencing like, like you're swimming upstream, everything's going badly, nothing really works out well. People will often describe minor or moderate manifestations in the, in the rectory, in the parish offices, um, basically a troubled location people describe being irritable with each other when they're in the building but as soon as they're outside of the building everything is fine you will sometimes see this where there is a lingering kind of wound in a place from either a very serious sin that happened there in the past or some kind of black magic that went on and if it's not addressed it can be a lingering wound so that can have an effect and there are places sadly where and I've worked on, consulted and worked on these cases too, where there's an active uh, coven or cult of either Satanists or, and when I say witches, I mean real witches, not I bought a book at the mall witches, but like true black magic practitioners that know they're dealing with, with evil spirits, not the, the teenage Wiccan person. Um, so there, there can be groups of people in the occult attacking a place, physically showing up, 
um, spiritually harassing it in addition to physically harassing it. So those are kind of specialized cases where you would probably know something weird is going on and it crosses the line into criminal activity. And so it's really important to bring local law enforcement involved, you know, get them involved in those situations. So those are pretty rare. And when they happen, they're serious and they're, they're on the diocese's radar and law enforcement's involved. So basically, yes, there can be a spiritual impact on a parish as a whole. And it tends to manifest in various difficulties that the people are having. Um, how do you combat that? Well, if, if there is a spiritual wound there, you encourage the pastor to get it addressed. If he doesn't have the expertise to let the diocese know and bring in somebody who does have the expertise to get it addressed. Now, the more subtle part is, well, just because people are irritable or you don't like a staff member there doesn't mean that there's a demonic problem, right? We don't want to jump to the spiritual hypothesis with a tiny, tiny bit of evidence because sometimes people are just ornery, people can be mean, or you just don't get along with a particular person. That doesn't mean they're possessed or it's demonic. We, I think we, we lean too far into assuming things are demonic these days because it's so much a topic of interest. Mm -hmm. How about people who are just tired or hungry or, or you know, not overworked or underpaid? <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, they could just be a little bit angry. But go ahead, sure. continue. No, no, that's that's basically the answer is, yes, it can happen, but it's rare, just like all extraordinary demonic problems. It can be addressed and it can be resolved. Um, and don't jump to that conclusion too easily because sometimes people are just ornery mm -hmm. and that's human nature. Mm -hmm. Are the demons, are they, this is a question coming from me, it just made me think of this based on the email. Because I worked at the parish for 25 years, and there were certain areas of the of the campus that you could almost sense that there wasn't any demonic activity. And then other areas seemed like it was really, there was just, it was very, there was a lot of tension. Mm -hmm. Is Are the demons permitted in on certain area in certain areas of the church and not in other areas i mean is that do you know anything about that yeah like sometimes the school will be troubled or the old um convent of mm -hmm. the nuns who used to teach in the school might be troubled or the rectory is troubled um the church can be troubled but it tends to be the other buildings so it's kind of a myth that the demons can't be present in a church in fact the blessing for a church bell is to ask God to make it such that when the bell rings, it drives the demons away from the church and the parishioners so they can focus on prayer and mass. Mm -hmm. So the church had an understanding that they're going to try to distract you during mass. And that was kind of built into the blessing for the bell. And that's why those bells were rung, not only to call you to prayer to come to mass, but also to drive the demons out of the parish. That's the, um, the old version of that blessing. Yeah. So, yes, basically where there's been uh, that kind of wound of serious sin, mm -hmm. or maybe somebody messing with the occult or doing spirit communication, ghost hunting, playing with the Ouija board, um, leaving a ritual object from the occult in there, that can cause one building to be troubled, yeah. Mm -hmm. I worked for a pastor many years ago and he was transferred to another parish and in the rectory in one of the bedrooms, he sensed a real disturbance and found out later that years years before, the pre uh, the priest died by suicide, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so he was asked to pray, um, and he he prayed for this long period of time, and then there was then there was a sense of peace afterwards. Yeah. So the most yeah, 
um, very common with murders and suicides that mm -hmm. you'll you'll see um, poor souls. And when mm -hmm. poor souls are petitioning for prayer, there's usually that kind of like heavy malaise and sense of kind of depression and like a wet blanket kind of feeling. Yep. Very localized to the very spot where they died, usually like within 10 feet or so, uh, or even less, or, or just the room. So that's very common. Um, mm -hmm. You do have to be careful though, you know, praying for the dead is always good, um, but really let somebody from the diocese investigate these things and look into them because sometimes the demonic had such a victory there mm -hmm. that they also can be around and you know so they may mm. need to be driven out in addition to praying for the dead okay that's interesting i love our monthly mailbag editions when we can ask all these questions where we have time but then you hear this music and then we've got to hit the pause button so when we come back uh, more of your questions from the virtual mailbag um and then next week we're going to be talking about the movies the impact of the movies the big screen movies and how it has made uh, such an impact such a such an impression on us and how we conduct our lives sometimes by what we see on the big screen and then we'll be back answering your calls and we can't wait for that but you can always email us to stay in touch tsw at grnonline.com and yes we're waving to you again on social media we're on video now you guys thank you so much for embracing the spirit world we'll be right back Family Minute with Mike and Alicia Hernan. How do you keep God in your mind once you're done with prayer and daily mass? It's different for each of us, but one tool we've learned to use in our family is Christian music. Whether you're working around the house or driving the car, it's far more uplifting to listen to than the overplayed secular love songs, and God can speak to you through it. It's amazing how transformative good Christian music can be. Music can help us memorize scripture and remind us of the providence of God throughout the day. It can teach kids the Bible in a way that they love. And kids can make music their own. As they grow up, encourage your children to pick out Christian music that they personally can relate to. There's all different genres, from chant to country to contemporary. St. Paul exhorts us. Sing psalms, hymns, and inspired songs to God from your hearts. Music can help deepen your love for God and lift your spirit to Him throughout the day. Try it this season and see. To find more resources for your family, visit us at MessyFamilyMinute.org. Stand Tall is now offering advanced group coaching sessions with master coaches highly trained in life skills. Visit StandTallToday.com and register for one of our upcoming group coaching events. These virtual opportunities are designed to take you to the next level of life in your relationships, career, faith walk, and so much more. Space is limited. Hurry to StandTallToday.com and sign up for one of our advanced group coaching sessions. StandTallToday.com the spirit world continues with debbie giorgiani and adam bly we're not taking live phone calls today please email your questions to tsw at grnonline.com 
Okay, we are back. This is our monthly mailbag edition for February. And uh, so we want you to just sit back and listen and learn, see if your question was answered or, or a similar question that you have sent in. And Adam, I'm going to start to uh, just kind of condense some of these emails uh, just for the, so that we can um, move along with different topics. Um, if if for our spirit world listeners, if you do have a comment for a future mailbag show, please send it in. Uh, Tim is picking up everything on social media and also um, also on um, our email, tsw at grnonline.com. And uh, okay, back to the next question. You ready? Ready. Okay. My question concerns non-Catholics attempting exorcisms. And then Brian goes on to say, I believe in one of Adam's books, um, he's heard that there were um, bishops and other people that would send to another denomination, like a Lutheran denomination, to get an exorcism, something of that nature. And then he says, further, I read that the Vatican started inviting people from other denominations to exorcism conferences. I don't understand how this is possible, given Jesus's limited granting of authority to cast out demons in the Bible and and the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1172, which states... Um, and he actually has the catechism paragraph right here. So thank you, Brian. Uh, 1172 says no one may lawfully exercise the possessed without the special and express permission of the local ordinary. This permission is to be granted by the local ordinary only to a priest who is endowed with piety, knowledge, prudence, and integrity of life. The catechism clearly requires permission from a bishop and that the person performing the exorcism is a priest. So what gives here that's what brian wants to know from butte montana and brian was is listening on the ewtn affiliate our lady queen of victory radio i love that station name our lady queen of victory mm-hmm. i love our lady under that title okay so what do you say to brian have you heard that 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 the catholic uh bishops and stuff were actually sending people off to other no it's the opposite it's the opposite okay. yeah so um i did not put that in the books. I think he's maybe misremembering it. So it's pretty common that the Protestants, when they come across full-blown cases, meaning a full possession that requires a solemn exorcism, they will send those to the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church kind of has a, a reputation and people have an understanding that exorcisms are effective. So the question's good. It's big. Um, here's a couple aspects to think about. When we talk about solemn exorcism of people that are possessed, the rite itself, the book that you pick up to read from that actually has the exorcism rite in it, has what's called a rubric at the in the instructions in that book. And that rubric says you can't do this unless you're a priest and you have permission from your local bishop, the, the ordinary meaning like the diocesan bishop. So if somebody from another denomination were to pick that book up, and try to use it with an actually possessed person with a demon in them, I can tell you with great confidence that the demon would literally say, you're not Catholic, you don't have proper authority to use that, therefore I don't have to listen to you and I'm not going to do what you say. Um, The reason I say that with confidence is, even if somebody is there to, to sit in and learn and watch the solemn exorcisms and say they're from another diocese, but they don't have permission to do exorcism in our diocese, if they inadvertently, not meaning to, say something uh, to the demon like, yeah, you should leave or 
any, anything even approaching a command, the demon will immediately stop what it's doing, turn to them and say, these guys I know, but you have no authority over me. I'm not going to listen to you because they're really big on their egos are huge and they're really um, hate being subjected to Christ's authority. So anybody, any human that doesn't truly have the authority that Jesus is going to enforce, they will call them on it. So that's the first point. You couldn't pick up that book, that Catholic book, either the one that was developed in uh, 1614 or the one, the new one written in 1999 and then revised a number of times, the new rite of exorcism. You couldn't pick up either of those and use them because the demons would say, you don't have authority to use that, therefore you don't have authority over me. I'm not going to listen to you. Now, if the person wants to pray in their own way, in whatever way they're going to pray, not using a fixed rite of the church that has these rules attached to it, I mean, in a sense, they're a Christian, they're free to try that. It's not like we're, we don't police other denominations and tell them what to do and what not to do. I give advice to other denominations and say, if it's a full-blown case, be careful because in my experience, you need the proper authority of a living apostle, a successor to the apostles to, in a sense, lend you their authority by giving permission to do something basically in their name, because there's a canonical layer to that. The priest is is working for the bishop and representing the bishops. And so right. in a sense, they represent that authority. So so if I if I, I just want to make sure I'm I'm hearing you correctly and being able to share this with others when they ask the question, because they do. We, we have a lot of non-Catholic listeners to the spirit world. Um, in your um, experience and what you do on a regular basis, because you've been asked to speak at, at many other um, communities and, and, and faith traditions, um, would you say that they that pretty much everybody realizes they need to come they need to come to the Catholic Church in order to get this, these things you know rectified and fixed and remedied? For the full blown possession cases, that is the feedback I've always gotten. Okay. I have I have not yet, um, you know, I've had Protestants uh, call in to just consult and say, you know, hey, can I run this capacity and ask some questions? I've spoken at major Protestant conferences and talked to ministers and, you know, um, whatever the title they use, pastors of their churches. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been told that, yes, that's true. And when they've tried to do it, it, mm -hmm. it was not good. I've what never... Well, the one person just told me they lost uh, three years of their life. Wow. They, one minister came to me and said, thank you for saying what you said. We need to hear it. This was privately in the hallway. Sure. And they said, I did come across a possession case and I tried to exercise it and I lost three years of my life. Oh, I didn't wow. ask them what happened to them. Right, I didn't ask right, for right. the details. But basically... Mm -hmm. um, so it's a very serious business when you're dealing with a demon that's in a body that can speak and strike out and, mm -hmm. and you know, interact. It's, it's a very serious business. Sure. So, yeah, so basically, um, but here's, here's the footnote to all this, Deb, and this, is, this will frustrate some people, but you need to also remember that Jesus can do whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. So, no, it doesn't mean... If Jesus said it's okay, or I feel Jesus said it's okay, I can pick up this book and use it unlawfully. You can't, because there's a hard rule on that book. But there are people that have prayed just in their own way, 
certainly like in the very early days of exorcism, if you go back to the ancient church and the history of it, I wrote a whole book on the history of exorcism, so I've got to read and explore all this stuff. In the ancient church, it was the very holy ascetic people that weren't clergy, but that, that were living like the desert fathers and the desert mothers, the people that had left the world and were living this very serious life of prayer mm -hmm. and, and penance, they would actually send the possessed to them in the early days wow. of the church. Before, because they were so holy? Yeah. Be, mm -hmm. And this was before there was even an exorcism rite. It didn't exist yet. I'm talking about, you know, the year 400. The first exorcism rite that was universal was 1614. So there were centuries in the church where an extremely devout Christian would do mm -hmm. exorcisms, but not there was no exorcism book. They would just pray. And so that's the footnote on all this is that Jesus can do whatever he wants because he's God. And if you're praying just in a heartfelt, sincere way, I'm not saying that he won't answer those prayers, but I am saying be careful. And when it comes to full possession, in my experience, it's best to send it to the Catholic Church so that a living apostle can share that authority to, to deal with it, mm -hmm. share that authority with the priest to deal with okay. it. Okay, very good. We have a couple minutes before our last break, and um, I'm going to read this. It's it's a long email, but the details are important. And then I'll let you think about it, and then we'll in the final segment, we'll we'll you will have your answer, and then also maybe one more question. This has been a fabulous mailbag show. I hope um, our listeners um, share it. You guys, we're trying to catechize across the world. So if you if you like what you're hearing, share it. But we also love when we are live and taking your calls because that is so uh, wow we love an interacting says hi Adam and Debbie about 20 years ago I met a nice woman and uh, she is calling her D okay so I met a nice woman D in my Catholic parish in our homes in our homeschool group over the years, she and her family moved to different states, and we occasionally contacted one another. Dee had a few more children, and one of her sons, at a very young age, about five years old, was in, was in touch or affected greatly by the supernatural world. It's kind of, she said it's kind of assumed that he was. She couldn't take him out in public because he would be in pain from demons. He is in touch with the souls in purgatory. I invited her and her family to my daughter's wedding 13 years ago because I knew she didn't live far. They came because she said the pain for her son should be greatly diminished based on the group of people present. A few months later, we spoke on the phone. We live a thousand miles apart. Dee offered to ask her son questions for me. I think he was about nine to 11 years old at the time. I asked about my grandmother's soul. She had an abortion and didn't go to mass. He said her soul is in the very deep level of purgatory. I had prayed for her for years before her death and then after her death and still do. Another time, Dee called and had her son next to her and let, and let me know what items in my house are cursed. She had me walk around each room and describe each large item as I passed, i.e. a floral sofa, a large mirror on the wall, around a side table, etc., etc. He mentioned a few times, this is a young boy, he mentioned a few, a few items that had a cursed attached to it. But he stopped me at one point and asked what I was near because he had a very good feeling. I started naming what was on the table. One item was a book on the Holy Land that my mother brought back from her pilgrimage there. It was this book that seemed to be causing his joyful feeling. 
Afterwards, I followed her directions to use blessed oil to pray the sign of the cross and anoint the cursed items. All of this supernatural knowledge overwhelmed me and scared me. Dee wanted me to pray extensive prayers against demons. I dropped contact with her. It is difficult for me to embrace that closeness with such a gift. I know that such a gift must also contain a lot of suffering. Being so different from everyone else, everyone doubting you. I chose not to continually wonder if it is real or a mental illness and what that means in my life. I have my own struggles with mental illness. It is easier for me not to get involved. Instead, I cling to the sacraments of the Catholic Church, pray the rosary, go to daily mass. I'm 62 years old and try to serve my children and grandchildren and the people I meet. Is it, here's the question now, Adam, and think about it, and then we'll, we'll hit the pause button. We come back, you can answer. Is it possible that D's son had these gifts from God? And was it okay to cut contact with her? Thank you for your radio program. And this is coming in from the Dallas area, Christina. Christina, great, great email, great detail. We needed to hear that. Thank you so much for trusting us with your question. You hear the music. This will be the final break for our monthly mailbag edition for February here on The Spirit World. Again, thanks, you guys, for promoting the videos on Facebook and YouTube. You're doing a great job. But email us. We like to stay connected with you, tsw at online. Check out all our past episodes and on our YouTube channel at GRN Online YouTube. So please make sure you visit us there and subscribe. Hit the subscribe button. We'll be right back. Here we are in the first week of Lent. And many of us at this point could be struggling to enter into this penitential season. We can ask ourselves, why do we have to do these practices of penance, of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving? One answer is because Jesus himself did these. As we hear in the gospel from this Sunday, he went into the desert and fasted and prayed for 40 days. But another answer has to do with our baptism. As we hear in the second reading coming from the first letter of St. Peter, chapter 3, St. Peter reminds us that baptism is not just a removal of dirt from our bodies, but it is an appeal to God for a clear conscience. A clear conscience is something that is so vital for us in our spiritual lives. And we can have a clear conscience by doing these external acts of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. At the Easter Vigil, each and every one of us will be called to renew our baptismal promises that our parents made for us on the day of our own baptism. And we will be more disposed to renew those promises when we practice these mortifications. We will be able to have a more clear conscience and cling ever more tightly to Jesus, to believe in him, to believe in his passion, his death and resurrection, that each and every one of us have been united to through our baptism. Mm -hmm. 
Two Minutes to Virtue is a production of the Catholic Diocese of Arlington, Virginia. For more information, visit their website, arlingtondiocese.org. The Spirit World continues with Debbie Giorgiani and Adam Bly. We're not taking live phone calls today. Please email your questions to tsw at grnonline.com. Okay, this is the final segment of our, of our monthly mailbag edition. Adam's going to answer um, the uh, question that just came in that I read, and uh, it's Christina's question. Adam, take it away. Okay, Deb. So... Very interesting um, question. There's there's a few layers to this that I would have concerns about. So number one, um, that the son at five years old had difficulty going outside because he felt pain from demons when he was out, you know, amongst people in the public. That kind of um, doesn't really make sense to me. So demons are around. They're tempting people. That's their ordinary activity. They're allowed to do that by God. We get mm -hmm. tempted our whole lives. So we already know that they're there. Having a discernment of demons in when I've, you know, um, talked with people or been around people that seem to have a genuine discernment of demons, meaning from God, they get information from God that is useful for ministry and healing and things like that. They don't experience pain from them. It's simply knowing that they're there. They may say it's not comfortable because they're ugly creatures, but they don't experience pain and distress from it. So that's a little odd to me that a five-year-old would be feeling that generally if you're feeling pain and distress from demons, that is more of an extraordinary activity of the demons where they are allowed to inflict pain and distress on you in an unusual way to the point he's they're talking about agoraphobia here fear to go out in public so it's interfering with the child's life so it seems odd to me that god would allow something that interferes with the child's life and development in terms of making friends socializing going to school all the things that you need to be doing as a five-year-old and also um, allowing pain if the child and the mother are in a good spiritual state now at five, you're not of the age of reason yet, so the mother and father, if the father's in the picture, have authority over the son. And so if the mother or father is doing occult stuff, that could be impacting the son to some extent. But in my experience of talking with a lot of people that have come out of these problems, when they're children, God doesn't allow that affliction until the child can make a choice for themselves, because it's, it's you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, it would be a cruel thing. So there's a few concerns there. Secondly, um, when they started asking him questions, you know, because he's got this special knowledge, that is really concerning because instead of trusting and relying on the word of God and the various ways that God speaks to us through the year, the readings at mass, um, the divine office, if we're praying it, um, the catechism, various ways that God speaks to us through the church, and uh, inspires us to turn to a nine-year-old for your special spiritual stuff. It almost seems more like um, making him an idol. So kind of a violation of the first commandment. You're really flirting with, oh, well, I need to call and get 
you know, this little boy to tell me what to do. You know, he's, he's the one that can know what's going on. Um, you're, you're kind of putting more emphasis on a little boy than on your relationship with God. It seems it's moving in that direction. And so that seems concerning. The fact that the emotion that it inspired in the questioner was being overwhelmed and scared is a clue that there's something not good going on here. Oftentimes our instincts are right. And if there was something off that was the Holy Spirit, perhaps, um, or just her instincts, she was feeling overwhelmed and scared, I would, I would withdraw from that situation. Because when you have people that are purporting to have special powers, and they're going to give you special information about your dead loved ones, this is really more of what like a psychic and a medium does than saying we can pray for and hope for your loved ones. And we can trust in the mercy of God and, and hope in the mercy of God. But to say, like, you know, I can see into purgatory and tell you where they're at, that strikes me as as a little bit odd. So I would be concerned for this boy um, and I'd be concerned for the parents. One of the things that I would wonder is if all of this started with attention seeking behavior when he was very little and very impressionable, children will do what their parents want them to do, even if it's unconsciously communicated. Right, right. And he could have been coached in a sense. And we got attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where he got attention. And mm -hmm. then she started feeding into it and telling him all these terms and talking about these different things. And then he gets more attention and more attention from other adults that are now calling on the phone. Mm -hmm. I would be really concerned about all that. So okay. And, and one remedy, if I can just ramble just sure. one more second, Deb. No, you go right ahead. I have found it to be super helpful and clarifying when somebody thinks they're getting messages from God to ask them to sincerely ask Jesus to take it away if it's not from him. That will do two things. If there's pride involved in your supposed discernment, it will cut through that pride because the person will say, well, no, I'm not comfortable asking him to, him to take it away. This is what makes me special with God. This is what makes me special with other people. And then you, you'll see that it's more of a prideful thing. Like I have this power, this is mine to use as I wish versus everything is coming from God. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing it'll do is if it is from the demonic and it's a trick, in my experience, it stops immediately because okay. Jesus sees that you're wanting to turn to him in truth and you don't want a trick. Right. Perfect. Wow. That was powerful. Okay. So Christina, if you're listening, be at peace that you distanced yourself from the, this relationship, right, Adam? So that, that's, yes. yeah, it's yeah. safe that way. Okay. But, and, yeah. and real quick, we're going to end up, uh, we're going to have hear the music in just a bit. Uh, we're going to wrap the, the show up because uh, Tim Mott, our producer is right on cue. He has us right down to the millisecond here. Oh, there it is. There's the music. Okay. Um, but Beth on Facebook, Beth, we love you so much. Uh, Beth wants to know Adam's most difficult case and was it resolved? It has, was it ever resolved? We'll talk about that, Beth, we promise. And Timoteo and Jesse and Ron and the others, sorry we couldn't get to you this month. We have another mailbag edition um, in March. Be sure of that. And then we will have our movies um, topic next week. We want to thank the show team. And, of course, the one, the only, Tim Mott, our producer, who did a fine job. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Grow the Facebook family there at the Spirit World Podcast. Okay, folks, for Adam Bly. 
I'm Debbie Giorgiani. Until next Saturday, have a beautiful and blessed week. We'll see you real soon.